Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Awesome. Hey, welcome everyone. It is great to be here this morning. My name is Ben, as Ross said, and we're going to look at this passage, but let's pray first and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that we can gather together today. Um, Thank you for um, the good that we have when we sing together, when we speak together, when we pray together, and when we open up your word together. Lord, it is such a privilege. Father, we pray that today you would move among us. We pray that your spirit would be working in us to change us and transform us. And we pray, Lord, that today we would walk out different people than the ones who entered because we've met with the living God. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What can we do to inherit eternal life? What can we do to secure eternal life? I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but this week uh, I got an answer to this question in a place I wasn't really looking. It was on a TV show called Gruen. Elizabeth and I have been getting into Gruen a little bit lately. I'm 30 this year, so you know I've got to start watching the ABC, and so we've started that a little bit earlier, and uh, we're watching Gruen. If you're not sure what Gruen is, if you're not sure what the internet, the aircon is, Tim, is that what you're doing? Fixing the aircon? <laughs> if you're not sure what Gruen is, though, it's an advertising company, uh, an advertising TV show. Uh, it's a show that's all about ads, and it's been confronting, realizing for us actually how much we are influenced by ads. Now, on Gruen, each time, each episode, there's an, a, a moment in the TV show called The Pitch. And it's where two advertising companies have to advertise something that you wouldn't normally be advertised to. So the episode we were watching, one of the advertising companies had to come up with a pitch convincing Christians to become atheists, and the other group had to come up with a pitch to convince atheists to become Christians. Now, the one convincing Christians to become atheists was exactly what you'd expect. It's basically live your life however you want. But the one to convince atheists to become Christians, that was a thing that struck me. Um, And it struck me because they went about it uh, targeting or thinking about insurance. So the ad was basically this. They said, you know, we all know that bad stuff happens. And since bad stuff happens, what we do is we insure ourselves. You know, you get car insurance in case you get hit by a car. You get life insurance in case someone hits you with their car. And so they thought, why not get eternal insurance? In fact, this was their line to sell Christianity to an atheist. This was their line. They said, why not have an eternal life policy? It's free, requires no commitment, and it covers your butt. Now, as I was watching this, you know, obviously, it's exactly what you would expect from someone who's not a Christian selling Christianity. But I thought it was interesting because this is what they're saying you've got to do to secure eternal life. You just got to sign up. And it's free, do nothing, and then you can know that you'll be covered when you die. Now, as I was watching this, it did remind me that there are lots of different answers out there on how to secure eternal life. You know, you can go anywhere to find an answer to how to to secure eternity, how to get to heaven. And, And it reminded me of that as I was watching TV, but it also reminded me that no one really watches TV to get advice on how to secure eternal life. And so it's worth actually coming before God and asking this question of God. It's worth coming to the Bible and seeing what God says about this. How do we secure eternal life? What can I do to make sure that I can get to heaven? 
Well, I don't know if you noticed it, but in this passage today, in the first verse, we actually saw someone ask this of Jesus. This rich ruler comes up to Jesus and he asks this question in Luke chapter 18, verse 18, where he says this, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You see what he's asking there? What have I got to do to make sure that when I die, I can get to heaven? What have I got to do? Now, before we see Jesus' answer to this and dig into it, it is worth just grounding ourselves a little bit in the context here, because if you were with us last week, if you remember, Jesus had this moment where he was speaking to those who thought they were good enough. And Jesus told two stories, one, to a, one about a Pharisee and one about a, a, a tax collector, and we saw it was the bad guy, not the good guy, that, was, that, that found acceptance. But then Jesus had this moment with the little children. Remember, we saw this. If you joined us online, babies were being bought, uh, being bought to Jesus. And Jesus holds the babies up and says, this is the attitude you need to receive the kingdom of God. In fact, in the, the last verse that we had, in verse 17, Jesus said this, Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So this is the, the last words that Jesus said. Right? He just said what you've got to do to inherit eternal life, what you've got to do. And, and what do you have to do, Jesus says? Well, it's a, a childlike faith. It's a reliance on God where we don't do anything and we simply rely on Jesus alone. So Jesus finishes those words and then the ruler rocks up. And he asks his question in verse 18. He says, look, but what about me? You know, but what, what do I have to do? That's interesting, isn't it? Like, it's almost like he's going, okay, Jesus, nice thing that you did with the babies, right? That was, that was nice that you did, you know, I get what you said. That was good for your brand to hold up the babies and say, you know, have this attitude. But the ruler says, what about me? What, what have I got to do to inherit eternal life? What, do I, what have I got to do to secure etern eternity? And so I wonder, if you were Jesus, how would you respond? How would you respond to this ruler? See, if it was me... I think I'd be annoyed at him. You know, I think I'd say, bro, I just said that. Right? That was the whole like, last 10 minutes of my speech. I just said that. Why don't you just listen and think about it? That's what I would do. But I'm not Jesus, and Jesus isn't me, which we all know. And Jesus speaks. And what Jesus does as he speaks is he doubles down on this idea that actually you can't do anything. And he does that in a few ways. We see it first and foremost, as he says in verse 19, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. Jesus begins this answer to this ruler who's asking, what can I do? By saying, you know, no one is good. You know, throughout the whole Bible, we see this picture that God alone is good and the rest of us are not that we actually, as humans, fall short, that we've failed in this area, that we can't be good enough. God is good. God is creator. He's powerful. He's perfect. We are created. We are not good. And Jesus starts with this, and he says, you know this, right? No one is good except God alone. But then Jesus continues, and he digs in a bit further, and we see the heat gets turned up on this ruler who thinks he's pretty good. And Jesus goes to the commands, and he says, you know these commands in verse 20. And it's interesting as we work through these commands, it's interesting because each command kind of builds on the last one. And as they do, it's almost like the heat gets turned up as we go one by one. And so he starts, and I wonder, you know, you can kind of picture yourself in the crowd listening to Jesus because he starts and he goes, you know the commands, don't commit adultery. Now maybe for this ruler, this one's kind of, you know, maybe it's easy. Maybe he hasn't cheated on his wife. Maybe he's listened to what God said about marriage in the Bible. And so kind of you can go, okay, maybe he's done that. 
Then you get don't murder. Again, he's not in jail. He's listening to Jesus. Maybe this one's easy. You know, have you killed anyone? He's like, I'm okay with that. But then Jesus turns it up and starts to dig deeper a little bit. And the next one he says, you shall not steal. Right? You ever taken money from someone that you shouldn't have? What about, like, you ever dug into your parents' top drawer where you knew the money was when you were a kid? Did you ever do that? Did you ever take money from someone? Did you ever take something that wasn't yours? Have you got a Netflix account that's not yours? You know that you're not really the family, it's not your household. Spotify account, you ever downloaded something illegal? Jesus starts to turn the heat up. Then he says, what about false testimony? You ever lied about anything? You ever said something that you shouldn't have said, you know, that you knew wasn't true? You ever said something happened that didn't happen or something didn't happen that happened? And then the final one, the heat turned up, honor your father and mother. You done that? Right, when you were a teenager finding your independence, did you listen to your parents then? <laughs> did you love your parents well then? Did you, you know, when they said do stuff, did you do that stuff? Well, what about when you moved out of home and then the parents started entering into your space? How did you go with that? Or what about older again, when they needed your care? How did you go caring for your parents when they needed you to care for them? Now, I don't know if you can picture yourself hearing Jesus' words here. I wonder how you feel with this. Because for me, I'm starting to feel it a bit. In fact, if I'm the ruler, I'm stepping off the hill of I'm pretty good and I'm going, okay, Jesus, I get it, right? I'm not that good, right? I've got a, you know, my teenage years was a struggle. Like, I reckon I've probably stolen some stuff over the time, told some lies. I'm already falling short here. Maybe you're feeling that as well. How's this ruler going to respond? How's this rich ruler who thinks he's good enough going to respond? Well, what does he say? He says in verse 21, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Turn it up, mate. <laughs> you have not. But that's what he's saying. No one can fact check it. Like, I'm guessing his parents aren't in the crowd, because if they were, <laughs> they would have told some stories. But he's saying, no, we've, we've done this. I've done this, right? Ever since I was a boy, I've kept all of this stuff, because he, he's good. He thinks he's good enough. He thinks he's done enough for God. And so how's Jesus going to respond to this guy? How's he going to respond to this guy who thinks he's good? Well, he, he takes this next step. He goes a step further. You see, with people, you can hide. You can fake it. You can pretend that you're good with people, but with God, he knows our heart. And what we see in this next bit is that Jesus goes after his heart. And we see this because Jesus, he says this, I've kept this since I was a boy, and then Jesus responds and he says in verse 22, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. See what Jesus is doing here? He's going after his heart. And he says, sell everything you've got, give to the poor and come, follow me. Now, catch this. If this guy is good, this won't be a problem with him. Right? This, this won't be an issue with him if he is good. Because if you are good, then it requires you to do big things. So if he truly is good, then this won't be an issue. And, and it's also interesting too, you think about who's in the room, like Jesus is there and Jesus did give up everything for the sake of those who were spiritually poor. So Jesus has done this. How's this man going to go when he's asked to do this? Does he love God and love his neighbor enough? If he is good, it won't be an issue for him. But what does he do? Well, he can't do it. And we see that. 
in verse 23, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. He's not good. He actually can't do what God asks him. And he realizes here that he actually loves money more than God. And so he's realizing this, but he also realizes in this moment that he can't do anything, that he's not good enough for God. And Jesus speaks into that, and he says in verse 24, he looked at him and he said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. In this moment, this ruler who thought he was good enough has just been exposed. He realizes he's not good enough. From his actions to his heart, he realizes he can't do what God says. And when Jesus looks at him, it's almost like Jesus is saying, I knew that. Right? When he asks, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus is saying here, you can't do anything. There's nothing you can do. In fact, he says, it's impossible for you to do anything to be good enough for God. And what Jesus does in this moment, and I love this picture, he says it's actually easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Now appreciate what Jesus is saying here, because it is a crazy and absurd picture. You know, I don't know if you've thought about camels recently, but I picked the biggest picture of a camel that I could find. And camels are weird. You know, they're just weird-looking animals, (laughs) and they're big. You know, so uh, Google told me this week, camels can get to the height of nearly two meters and three meters long, and they can grow up to a thousand kilograms. They're massive, and they're weird. (laughs) They're just crazy-looking animals. And Jesus says, it'd be easier for this crazy animal, big animal, to get through the eye of a needle. Now, you know, if you've ever dabbled with sewing, which... (laughs) I would like to say that I did, but I had to drop out of home ec because I couldn't ever get the thread through the eye of the needle. But you know it, right? It's hard. It's small. And Jesus is saying it's, it's easier for this weird animal to get through this small needle. Now, when you look at that picture, even just looking at the camel, it's absurd, isn't it? Right? It's absurd to think of the idea that a camel could go through the eye of a needle. That is a crazy picture. In fact, you could even argue it's a stupid picture. It's a silly picture that Jesus is giving. But do you see what Jesus is doing here? He's saying the absurdity of a camel going through the eye of a needle is as absurd as a person thinking they can be good enough for God. You see that? That's what he's saying here. It's as absurd as a person thinking that somehow they could be good enough for God. Right? Because it is crazy to think that a person, a human, created creation could be good enough for God, whether we are rich or poor, whether we're from Australia or Jerusalem, whether we're strong or weak, whether we're male or female, whoever we are, whether we have a background we're ashamed of or a background we're proud of, it doesn't matter because it's laughable. It's absurd to think that people could be good enough for God, that we could reach to the Creator and He would accept us because of our actions. We are to feel the weight of this absurd picture. It is crazy to think that people, humans like us, could think that we're good enough for God. But while this picture is confronting, it shouldn't crush us. Because the people hear this picture of the camel going through the eye of a needle in the story, and they ask this question. Okay, Jesus, so who can be saved? If it is impossible 
for someone to enter the kingdom of God, to be good enough for God, then who can be saved? And Jesus replies in verse 27, and he says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. We are supposed to be confronted by the fact that we can't be good enough for God, but we're not to be crushed by it. Because what's impossible for us is possible for God. Our God who made the camel could, if he wanted, put it through the eye of a needle. And our God, if he wanted, could make humanity find a way to be accepted before God. And this is what Jesus did. He gave up everything that he had. He didn't count equality with God as something to be grasped. He gave it up. He became poor for those who were spiritually poor. And then Jesus lived the good life. He loved God and he loved his neighbor perfectly. And then he died the death we deserve, and he rose again to secure for those who trust in Jesus like a child with their parent, eternal life. What's impossible for us is possible with God, and it's possible because Jesus did something about it. He entered into this world. He died, he rose, he secured this hope for us. So when we ask this question, what can I do to secure eternal life? Jesus is showing us you can't do anything. There's nothing we can do to be good enough for God. The only way that we find acceptance is in reliance on Jesus alone. So then it raises this question. If I can't do anything for God, why do anything at all? Right? Like if if my actions don't make me good enough for God, then what's the point in doing anything at all for God? Well, in a way, we see this. Because as Peter's listening to what Jesus has just said, he asked this question. He says in verse 28, Peter said to him, we've left all to follow you. We left all that we had to follow you. And you notice there what Peter's saying. He's not just saying, hey, we woke up early on a Sunday morning to follow you. He's not just saying, hey, we've been serving for the last year to follow you. He's saying we left all to follow you. Peter's asking this question, well, why did we do anything? If you can't be good enough for God, if you can't do enough to get to that bar, then why do anything at all? Peter's saying we left all. We left security. We left our jobs, our livelihoods to follow you. We left family, you know, for nights on end, for weeks on end to follow you. And you just think about how that went. Like when Peter got home after following Jesus, is, he, is that going well for his family? Like, that's a difficult relationship to rebuild with your wife. That's the kids saying, we want mum to put us to bed, not dad to put us to bed. They left family to follow Jesus. They left friendships. They left home. They left everything to follow Jesus. And now Jesus is saying, you can't do anything to be good enough for God? Why do we do anything? Why do we serve? Why do we turn up week after week? Why do we love each other in the difficult moments if we can't do anything? Well, Jesus responds to Peter and he responds in love and what he does, he actually shows us we can't be good enough for God but notice this, Jesus says you can't be good enough for God but when you follow Jesus and when you live the way that he's called you to, it is actually good for you. He says this in verse 29, he says, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. Why do anything? Well, Jesus says it's not so that you can be good enough for God, but radically, he says, but actually it's for your good. It is good for you to follow Jesus. Now, it is worth noting what he's not saying here. Jesus is not saying family doesn't matter. 
You know, Jesus, when he died on the cross, he was looking after his mum. Throughout the Bible, we know that God values family. He's not saying, you know, quit your job and, and give all your money away and do all of that. You know, we might feel some, some encouragement in that space to give generously and think about our work, but he's not saying everything doesn't matter. No, what Jesus is saying is when we actually grasp what he's getting at here, there is a better reality to live for. When we grasp what Jesus is saying, when we leave stuff behind in this world, when we sacrifice stuff in this world, we're not just letting go of joy and happiness, but we're actually living for a greater reality and a greater hope, which is eternal life, but it's also the security of knowing right now I am loved by God. It's the joy that we have now and into the future. You see, when we think about doing stuff, when we think about our actions, the reality is we have, a, we have two options. Either we live for ourselves in this world or we live for Jesus. Those are our kind of only options. And when we live for ourselves, the, there's, there's a lie that's given to us here. The hope given to us from the world is if you just get stuff, you'll be happy, right? So if you get success, you'll be happy. If you get that perfect family, you'll be happy. If you have that good night out, you'll be happy. If you get famous, you'll be happy. You know, perfect home, you'll be happy. That's the lie given to us from the world. What Jesus is saying here is there's something better to live for, something that won't wash away, that won't fade, that will actually stay with us now and into eternity. Now, throughout the years, there's been a couple of different images given for this, but one of my favorite ones is from a guy called C.S. Lewis. And he speaks about this in a book called The Weight of Glory, where he talks about the idea of living for this world. He compares it to mud pies. You might have heard the quote before. Here's what he says. He says this. He says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. I love the image that he gives us here. It, it does capture, I think, what Jesus is speaking about as well. Because when you think about what the world offers to us, what C.S. Lewis is saying is he, it's comparing it to mud pies. He says, you know, we pursue drink and sex and ambition, and it's like building mud pies. Now, if you were a child and you ever had the privilege and the fun of playing in mud, we know that that's fun, right? Like, if you, if you remember, it's fun to, to get in the mud, to have the mud, I don't know, the feeling all over you, to be dirty, to throw mud at people. All of that is fun. But it washes away. And it disappears. And what he's getting at here is helpful because when you think about what the world offers us, it is fun. You know, the, the stuff that he says, drink is fun. You know, those parties where we lose our mind. That might be fun for a moment, but it disappears. It washes away. Sex, the relationships that we can pursue, it might be fun, but it's temporary. Ambition, the idea of being famous. You know, there might be some joy in that, but it's temporary. It fades away. It's like making mud pies. It washes off. But what C.S. Lewis is saying, and what I think Jesus is saying here as well, is there's something better to live for, something that won't wash away, something that won't disappear. And when we sacrifice these things for Jesus, what we find is a greater joy and a greater security that's not just here and now, but into the future. You see, as we get older, when we start building our holidays, when we start planning our holidays, no one, no one thinks, you know what, let's just go into the backyard and put the hose on, and three weeks we'll play in the mud. No, because you know what's better for you. 
you know that you've got an apartment by the beach and it's going to be nice to spend time there. This is what he's getting at. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at too. When we think about living for Jesus, we know there's something better here for us. And yes, it means saying no to certain things, but it's actually good for us here and now to live for Jesus and into the future to live for our King. You see, when we think about what can I do to secure eternal life, you can't do anything. There's nothing we can do to be good enough. But when we think about what Jesus calls us to, he's showing us radically that it's for our good. There is a better way to live where we find more joy, more security, and this joy, this security, it won't wash off. It won't fade. And it it starts here and now, but it goes with us into eternity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the hope that we get in the Bible that, Lord, we can't be good enough for you, but that Jesus did the impossible. Jesus, thank you so much that you entered into our world, that you gave up all that you had for us, that you lived the good life and you died the death we deserved, and you give us this hope of eternal life. You give us the security and the safety of knowing it's not about what I do, but what Jesus has done. And Lord, we thank you too that you give us a better way to live. You call us to live in a way where we follow Jesus and live the way he called. And and this is not temporary joy. This is not a joy that, that fades and washes away. This is something better. When we live in this relationship with you, where we can know the security that we have with you and that goes into eternal life. So we pray, Lord, for help in this. We pray that you would help us to live for you in this. And that we would continue to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus as we do this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.